Hello, I'm Dave Brisky, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Brisky Business. Really exciting to have you with me this afternoon. Uh, another great program coming your way. You're going to love this gentleman that's going to be our guest on this program. Remember, keep writing me at briskybusiness at entvusa.com. We're going to continue to tailor the program for, to your interests. And in fact, this guest, uh, many of you had been talking about this particular industry that he has become an expert in. Uh, as you all know, those of you that are tuning in on a regular basis, uh, the platform goes through four segments, Brisk Business Basics, which is foundational business principles, Brisk Buy or Bail, which is the decision-making process, Brisk Bulls and Bears, which is about the public markets, and Brisk Best and Brightest, which is our segment that we try to do a little mentorship uh, and really start to dig into some of those questions. I am really, really excited to uh, have you all here today. I've got a special guest, as I said, on the program. This man is internationally recognized scientific expert in analytical testing, extraction, purification technologies uh, within the botanical space. His career has included a number of roles in innovative product development. He's currently con contributing journalist of Extraction Magazine, a cannabis extraction publication, and Terpenes and Testing Magazine as well. And many of you have written in about the cannabis industry or CBD or hemp-based products because you see that as an explosive industry. So we're happy to bring this gentleman to you for this uh, episode of Brisky Business. Uh, he earned his BA in chemistry at St. Lawrence uh, University. He's got his PhD there. Uh, he, uh, from the University of Vermont in inorganic chemistry, he's focused on the synthesis of cannabis cancer-fighting compounds, and he's also a Six Sigma Green Belt. Dr. McKay, the founder and CEO of Synergistic Technology Associates, please join me on Brisky Business. How are you today, Dr. McKay? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a great honor to be able to participate in this program and all the different things you've been doing with it. Well, I appreciate you coming on and our listeners got a fair amount of younger listeners and they really are curious about this kind of developing industry, right? The cannabis industry and how it's, uh, you know, been morphing in different directions, certainly into the hemp derived products. And uh, obviously you've got a ton of experience there. So we're anxious to explore that. So, you know, take a deep breath. I always say grab your best cup of coffee and you and I are going to, you know, talk it up a little bit. And, and I know we're going to learn a lot from you. So let's get started. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. So the first segment is Brisk Business Basics. What I'd like to do is maybe take you back a little bit. You know, I'm going to tax your memory, but maybe before we get into some of your tips on basic business principles, I'd like to talk about maybe those early foundational situations that may have developed your path, if you will, onto your business path. And sometimes these things can be quite young. So you can go back as far as you want. You can go to yesterday or you can go back decades. Uh, so I'm anxious to hear from you. Oh, great. I, I would say that I, I didn't really uh, grow up expecting to be in business, I had no idea what what that meant, I just knew from the early times that if I was going to have any pocket money for uh, sweets, that somehow I was going to have to get it. it. It turns out my parents weren't giving me money for sweets. Go figure. And so from the time I could pick up a rake or a shovel, um, a snow shovel, because I grew up in uh, Vermont, I'm a fifth generation dairy farmer. That's my heritage in Vermont and so you you just worked so I would be shoveling driveways for a dollar 
I always look forward to a snowstorm. Other people might say, no snow. And I'm going, oh, snowstorm meant money. And then at the same time, mowing lawns from the time I could mow lawns, raking, um, watering, washing neighbors' cars, washing out their garages. That's that's what I did. And eventually I, I was fortunate enough to uh, acquire a paper route. And those were very, very rare. Um, to be able to get a hold of back then. And there was a, a regular uh, Sunday paper. Uh, I started off with that, and then I was able to get to the daily newspaper, and then I, then I held both routes um, for the uh, Burlington Free Press and the, uh, um, and the Sunday paper. And then from there, um, I worked uh, through high school, and on high school I, I spent a lot of time actually training um, from the uh, from the time I was a sophomore, and then I was able to uh, establish a scholarship and go to St. Lawrence University, and uh, there I I wash dishes for food, and so it, it's just a pattern of being able to make sure that I could always secure uh, funding for the things I was trying to do. So, and then it um, slowly grew into into working into the into the university world, and then to the uh, corporate world. You know so I, I didn't have an ex- expectation of just. Uh, working hard and doing things. You know what I find interesting? You know, I've had so many entrepreneurs on the program and, and so many of them have had paper routes. So many of them talk about work ethic. I think that's probably the one principle um, that people need to understand, right, as they venture out into their business career. Uh, a strong work ethic uh, pretty much, I, I don't want to say guarantees, but your chances for success increases dramatically if you'll outwork the other person. And uh, it seems all of our entrepreneurs on the program talk about that. You know what I find interesting? You ultimately uh, got into, uh, became an expert in chemistry, but I understand that you uh, actually uh, didn't do very well in chemistry uh, in your early years. Tell us about that. I would say uh, sometimes in my early years and probably yesterday too, but at times I was... uh, I did very poorly in high school. I could not understand chemistry. It just made no sense. But I was fortunate in the fact that the chemistry teacher was also the um, ski coach. Uh, you, you're, you know, so I won't say that I passed chemistry with a D minus just because I could ski, but there's a, a high probability that some semesters that happened. And then I moved on to uh, to uh, um, college and was able to, you know barely passed through chemistry there and through all I don't know whether it's provincial or or how I managed to get into graduate school but I got into graduate school and then uh, did very poorly the first year I mean I had the record I had the records for the worst entrance exams ever I'm sure it's still held I'm sure they don't bring other people like myself in and then I actually had a a time where I had Dr. Chris Allen and and Dr. Dave Brown and Dr. Bill White took me into their wings and the graduate students and then taught me chemistry. And then one day, and uh, it was a snow snowstorm of, uh, of Boston, I fell in love with chemistry. I found a book and fell in love with chemistry and then just never stopped studying. I had people who worked with me one-on-one, and I just lived in the chemistry building and just fell in love with it. Wow. And that's really shaped your, uh, your career in a pretty big way. I know that... Uh 
one of the things that uh, when we were talking about off uh, off mic, the uh, brisk business basics, I asked you what your uh, what you thought the big priorities were, and you mentioned the word innovation to me uh, of products. And uh, you know, tell me if the how did your chemistry help you with that? My chemistry helped me with that for understanding what people were doing, but mostly I used it to understand, to have people understand the chemistry and what was happening. So on that side, I would say that um, I, I learned how to, to, to take a course because I was taking the course with the undergraduates at the same time I was teaching. And then that's when I, I learned that I was a, a poor student, but what helped them was the analogies and what helped them was the visualization and the animation and the personalization of the chemistry so it became pertinent it became applicable it became relevant and to have something relevant makes it much more interesting to learn um you know hydrochloric acid and or cannabinoid chemistry or extraction if it's pertinent and it's applicable then their lights turn on and so um, any innovation I've done is because I sat there with the customer watching them use it, watching them use it until I could see where where they were struggling. And so I would make the next innovation and make it a little better. Yes. And you said to me that the innovation of product and holding margins has been uh, really your big priority with every customer that uh, that you've interacted with and certainly in launching uh, your business career without that. So, uh, you know, how do we. Uh, how could we possibly be successful? We could have an innovative product, right? We have an innovative product could be the greatest thing in the world, but is it an innovative product that people will pay for becomes the next thing. And, and can you then deliver it uh, with the appropriate margins, right? To, to have a sustainable business. And it seems like you've been able to do that and uh, actually advise on that type of efficacy, which I know we're gonna get great, uh, later in the program as we talk about various hemp products. But I think you're seeing some innovation happen there. In, in a minute and a half, are there some exciting things that you see developing in the, in the space of uh, cannabis? I would say in, in, the, in a minute and a half to summit is that people are moving towards wanting to know what the processes are. They want to know online what's happening with those components like they do in pharmaceuticals, like they do in food products. You're constantly wanting to know the moisture. You want to know, you want to know what's in that product at the time while it's being made. You want to know those, uh, the feedback. And I think that some of the innovation that comes from that is not only just making something, but also being able to know what the temperature is. The same way you want to know what your speed is in your car. The same way you want to know what your tachometer is. Each one of those things now becomes more than an idiot bunny. It becomes a, a, a feedback. So um, in the cannabis, you got a minute now. The, the big ingredient CBD, okay? But yes. there's other stuff going on in that plan, isn't there? There is. So when you wake up in the morning, I, I saw you have a cup of coffee there, and, and I think there's some coffee business in your background. So what happens with a cup of coffee is, is you wake up and you want a cup of coffee. I hear people say that. I want a cup of coffee. Well, what do you, I want to wake up. Well, if you want to wake up, then just take caffeine. But we don't. We enjoy the entire flavor of the coffee. And a lot of those different compounds have um, other um, physiological uh, metabolized things that allow us to wake up as well as to stabilize us, as well as we have a cup of tea that has us giving you comfort. You have different things in those compounds. The same thing with cannabis. There's a number of different compounds and they all work together in a entourage or synergistic way. Uh, Dr. McKay, 
Why don't you tell us what you do when, when you're faced with decisions like that and how you go about doing them? When I'm, when I'm looking at some of the decisions, I have to um, go back to some of my roots, but uh, some of it is just on, based on what happens and, uh, and uh, circumstances that allow me to, to make a pivot and to be open to a pivot. So when I was managing a large group in corporate America, then anytime that there was ideas, sometimes ideas would get squashed by other people, you know, or, or they wouldn't feel that the comfort to make those decisions. And that, that's a hard thing. And as a manager, it's your responsibility to be able to, to help everyone make a decision so you can have more information so you can make the ultimate decision. It's not a responsibility you give up. It's, a, it's, a, it's an honor. And so what would happen is I, is I made up the following rule, and that was any idea was, was open, any idea that anybody had at any time on anything on, on the subject we were on would have a role, and we would write those up on a board. And, and in the early days, someone, someone would – and I'll say, ah, I don't think that'll work. And so I wouldn't I – wouldn't, this is what the rule was. You had to say two positive things about an idea or how it might work in another way before you ever came out with the – but, and you always knew there was going to be a but. And so that was one thing. And then that allowed me to have an enormous variety of ideas and things in front of me that I could then make a, an, an ultimate business or innovative decision. But in the, in the early days, some of my decisions were made by circumstances. For example, um, in 1976, all the jobs went away. Sound familiar? And so I said, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to have a job. I need to go to school. I need to do something. So I went to graduate school. I got a chemistry degree. And then somewhere along the way, I fell in love with teaching. I just knew I had to teach, and I knew I had to innovate. So I taught at a very large school on Monday, on Tuesday, Thursday, and I taught at a very small school two and a half hours away on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I did that for almost a, a half year, and I beat myself up. But I learned from that I wanted to teach in a small school. That took all the big schools out. I was able very nicely to get six job offers on small schools, and I ended up going to Davidson College, a very good school, and was able to teach there. And then something happened on the way. Um, we, uh, My wife and I, we'd gotten married and moved to South, and then we were surprised four months into marriage that uh, we were we were pregnant. Well, one of us was, and so went, went from there, and I realized this was not going to work at $20,000 a year to be able to support a family because we knew at the time that Anne would take on greater responsibility with the family and I would, you know, go off and toil. So I ended up, you know, applying for a sales job. And um, one of the people that told me that, you know, you need to be, you need to be aggressive and show, you know, some exertion and, and energy. And so during the questioning process, it, it was a good questioning process because it brought out this. Number one, the regional sales manager, his name was Warren Bevron, Dr. Bevron. And he was an immense man and, and very smart and very strong. And so he said, number one, what's your mom going to think? I thought, oh, my gosh, who's going to ask me that? I says, my mom will be very good. I mean, she's you know, a college professor, and I got the degree. She doesn't really know what I do anyhow. And so that would be something I can explore. And he says, okay, you're, you're big-time, small-time college. You've got a great grant. You've got this Young Chemist of the Year type of thing award. And, and, and now you're going to be a sales guy. And I said, how's your advisor going to feel? I says, well, Dr. Allen will feel okay. Um, but I get to spread my knowledge out, and I get to do more things than just my original Ph.D. thesis. And he says, okay, that's good. And then he brought up the next point, which is the business part. 
He says, you know what? We got quota. And every three months, you have to be able to bring in a certain amount of money. And if you don't bring in that money, we fire you. And I'm just like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, okay, okay. And so I leaned forward and I said, you ain't got, you ain't got quota big enough for me. And so that was my bravado. And at the same time, I had to fulfill it. And I did. But when you look at those decisions, sometimes they're made by, by life. But I learned so much with every single customer that I saw. I learned about applications. I learned about how to apply things. I learned about people. I learned so much during those, during those years. And so I would say that that's my process. Well, you know, that was a big decision to go into sales. Obviously, uh, from a financial standpoint, that can be a good decision. I love that you would lean forward to this this huge man, and basically, you've never sold anything, really. I mean, we but you know what? We say we've never sold anything, but reality, anything we ever got in life was because we sold it very well, right? So that's we've been selling stuff since we're three years old. Maybe just don't call it sales, but we get what we want somehow. I mean, obviously, you ended up married, so you got what you wanted there as well. So so, you know, obviously you had to be a great salesman to do that. So um, but uh, as we look at, uh, you know, for you to lean forward and I don't believe you were very you have very big stature, right? You're talking about a big man. How what, what was your stature when you lean forward and said you don't have a quota big enough? So, I mean, six foot five and a Ph.D. with with significant academic backgrounds behind himself and what he discovered. He was very, very smart. And I will say that I did, I did during one summer in graduate school and we didn't have any money in the graduate program. We didn't have any for my group. And so I sold, I sold, I sold, um, not Tupperware. I sold, um, the products where it's, uh, uh, lotions and, uh, things for the house. I've already forgotten it. And, um, and I went through and the, the real, I knocked door to door. And I figured out that during that summer, the only person that really bought any products from me was my mom. And um, based on the number of hours I worked, I lost 25 cents an hour. So I, I didn't start off with a great thing on my resume. I guess not. So you then made a, uh, it was interesting, you know, we talk about buyer bail decisions and sometimes we make a decision to move away from something and, and realize maybe that wasn't the right decision at all. And you told me about reading a headline in May of 2013 about uh, licensing in the cannabis business. Tell me about uh, your initial thoughts and how that shaped your, uh, your career. It did. And it was, I, and that's because I can remember the date. It's so clear in my mind. It was a Friday. And, and that was the other part that I saw. As I said, it was a headline that said, medical marijuana license is now open. And I remember thinking it, and I remember articulating it. And I remember saying, that is the stupidest idea I have ever heard. Who thinks of this stuff? It's just ridiculous. And and I, I went back through, and, and as I was moving through the process, I, I, I became, you know, studying that field. And then I read the literature, and then I realized that, that you know, that I really wanted to provide testing equipment so that I would know what the best thing was. And then I started to meet doctors, and I started to meet medical centers, and I started to meet people that, like Dr. Sanjay Gupta, that said, uh-oh, this, this is something that is, is real. And I saw the seizures. I, on my side, I didn't realize. I had a sister who died very young, um, probably early 50s, and uh, she died of epilepsy. 
and a grand mall. And she was very, very heavy woman and, and, and she shouldn't have been. And it was a terrible process. And, and to know that, you know, years of, of small molecule, uh, you know, trying to calm her down and stuff was, was hard. And I watched her struggle through her school years. I watched her struggle through, you know, people laughing at her because she was slower and, I, I didn't understand it, and it was a terrible, terrible process for someone to go through just because they had a disease that they couldn't control, but they had to control it through cenobarbital. And and that and then I realized, and I started reading the literature, and I saw the difference that that this that this compound, a mixture with other compounds at the same time in the plant, was stopping the seizures of these young children having a hundred, three hundred seizures a month. It was horrific, and then watching the change, and then that. That light bulb went off, and I went, I was wrong. At, that there is suitable relationship, uh, research, and there has to be more research to know the boundaries. And then now you have GW Pharma with different drugs that have gone to the FDA all the way through the process. And those are the things that, that changed my mind. And then moving towards what are the boundaries that are real? What do we bring to the normal public? Those things changed my mind. And it also brought me more motivation obviously with the motivation that i had from terrible circumstances of my sister well yeah i mean that's an unbelievable story and i'm so sorry to hear what you went through with your uh with your sister but you know i'm sure that motivated you to help others not go through that same pain and all of a sudden you you go from a bail decision and i'll never i won't get into this this is just a bad idea and now you're making your whole living on it not only that you're inspired to to do testing and to bring uh to uh, create the boundaries within the cannabis space and make sure that there's companies out there doing great things and uh i think it's just absolutely incredible uh the size and scale of where this business can go and we're going to talk about that uh, in the next segment as we wrap up uh, this segment of uh, Brisky Business. And we're going to come back exiting Brisk uh, Bull Buyer Bale and moving into Brisk Bulls and Bears in a minute.